Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurntOrangeNation.com. Before we jump in, though, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Subscribe there. Share it with your friends. We'd love to have them as part of our Longhorn family. Another opportunity I do want to remind you of is if you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, our podcast host, Podient, is offering all of our listeners a 25% off their first three months of a premium membership. They sign up using the code LONGHORN. Now, Kyle and I really love what Podient does. They're really, really easy to use. It's a really simple interface. They handle all of the technical stuff. So all you have to do is record, edit, and then you upload it, and they'll take it from there. So if you want to sign up for a free 14-day free trial of their premium services, then you can get 25% off your first three months of that same premium membership. It's phenomenal. You can sign up at podient, P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O. Use the offer code LONGHORN. That's L-O-N-G-H-O-R-N for those of you that are listening to the Longhorn Republic that don't know how to spell Longhorn. Uh, you can check that out. We'd love to have you as part of it. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week like I am every week and i'm joined by my good friend the illest the realest kyle carpenter kyle how you doing bud man i am uh i am thriving and surviving i am on mandatory company uh i will say suggested pto um (laughs) this week which is uh fantastic and and, um hopefully i'll be in a much more relaxed zen like state but uh just wanted to give a quick update on where i will be this this week i am i am heading out of houston texas to um, New Orleans, Louisiana, for a little thing that they call Essence Festival, um, as popularized in the uh, last year's hit film Girls Trip. So um, if I come back being exactly like Tiffany Haddish, then I- I've done something right. Everybody wins if Kyle comes back like Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> We've got a a big show for you, probably a long show for you tonight. Uh, We've got two, count them, two Big 12 previews to make up for uh, the lack of a show last week. We've got uh, John Morse. Uh, from Kansas State, and then we've got our friend Jack Shields over uh, from Crimson and Cream Machine. But we've got a little bit of news for you before we jump in. So Texas baseball, we, we're going to wrap up our season really quickly. Uh, they finished tied for seventh after Oregon State somehow had the least likely comeback in NCAA baseball history, it felt like. Um, so that's that's great. It was a successful season, especially after the way it started. But really, uh, we're seeing we've got uh, like a ton of guys that are either so- drafted or signed to L, Major League Baseball contracts. Cody Clemens, Chase Sugar, Nolan King, and Parker Joe Robinson all moving on to the next level. Uh, and Cody Clemens, uh, we're just going to say this, he got robbed. Uh, he was not named Golden Spikes of the Year, but he was uh, named the best field player by the American Baseball Coaches Association. Uh, so, Kyle, let's let you've been the baseball guy all year. Uh, quickly, put a bow on kind of what people should take away from this season, where they should be feeling heading into the 2019 baseball season. There is no way to talk about this baseball season in a, in a retrospect without just saying. Um, they overachieved, and it's always fun to root for a team that's that's kind of an underdog and an overachiever. Um, this was kind of always supposed to be a transitionary year. If Pierce's uh, Coach Pierce's first year 
um, was a little bit of like, hey, we're getting back on track and kind of made it made a nice run at the end. This this year with the uh, I'll go back to the fact that we talked about having the most players last year of any team in the country drafted. This year was kind of an un-Texas thing of bringing in transfers and JUCOs and and just kind of. Uh, filling holes, and it was to see, hey, what's going to happen? Um, I think they have a great recruiting class. They have a lot of um, returning depth besides those guys who who were stars who were leaving. Um, but this was a great run, a Cinderella season. I, I, this is a, a season, even though they didn't win a national championship, that I'll look back on for years uh, and just remember with a smile and very fondly. Um, Cody Clemens absolutely secured himself as a Longhorn legend and one of the greatest baseball players in UT's very, very, very storied uh, tradition in history. So ultimately a wonderful, fantastic season, and I'm excited uh, to see them build on that for the years to come. And Coach Pierce looks like he's uh, the next in the line of, of great Texas baseball coaches. Yeah, and, and just getting to see a team that seem to gel and really love playing together. I think that's always, you always have fun watching teams that are clearly having fun. Uh, and so I loved watching this team this year. It was great to see a bunch of guys that again, are just out there having a good time. Like what more do you want from watching sports is to see a bunch of young guys. Like that's what college sports is all about. That's why we love, love, love watching college sports. So quickly let's transfer over to our, uh, a little bit of football news. So via Twitter, that was actually an unintended pun, but Texas got news that uh, senior linebacker, Edwin Freeman was going to be transferring. He'll be pursuing a graduate transfer, which under the new NCAA rules becomes even easier. Uh, so he is a, uh, he was expected to be kind of a depth guy on the chart for Texas. He saw uh, sparing playing time the last couple of years. He got injured in spring practice and kind of saw himself buried under uh, under some other guys. So he wanted to take the opportunity to get a uh, no-sit-out transfer, which, you know what, I, I don't fault the kid for at all. So, um, man, I think the thing for me with this, and Kyle, you can comment on this as well, you know, there wasn't a ton of attrition this offseason. We didn't really see a ton of transfers like we did, you know, a year ago or when Charlie Strong came in and, and Edwin Freeman was a Charlie Strong guy. So this may feel kind of like the signaling of the last little vestiges of the last regime kind of transferring out and fully uh, becoming Tom Herman's program. Yeah, and, and Edwin Freeman is, is especially that he was in Mac Brown's final last super duper. This is it. The, the last thing tied to him recruiting class. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is really kind of the last vestiges of not just um, the strong era, but it's getting harder and harder to blame Mac Brown at this point. Um, <laughs> is this might be his last or one of his very, very last guys uh, still left on the team. So yeah, it, it is, it is an era, um, you know, a pretty signifying thing. I wish him all the best. He, he you know, graduated. So good for him. Good, good luck uh, at the next level. Um, I always wanted him to be our next great dreadlocked linebacker, but uh, you know, hopefully he'll, He'll have a nice career as long as it's not with one of our rivals. We we can't blame Mac really anymore. We can blame Charlie at this point. I think we have another year blaming Charlie. Mm-hmm. Feels feels like the right move to mm-hmm. me. Well, I, I was just gonna say. I mean, at this point, that the cake has had a year to settle, so we'll really know how thick that dough of that cake that he baked uh, is is gonna be. And, and the fairy dust continues to be sprinkled. Thanks, Urban. Uh, so we'll move on to basketball. We missed this because, again, we did not have a show last week. Uh, Mo Bamba 
favorite of the podcast, was drafted number sixth, just barely missed the top five, uh, which is frustrating to a lot of people, including Dallas Mavericks fans. Uh, so Mo Bamba drafted sixth by the Orlando Magic, and really it's not a ton of news, but he's had a, an eventful couple of weeks since. So he uh, selected the jersey number five, maybe because he wanted to be drafted five, but also uh, Bamba number five, as any child of the 90s and early 2000s should be really excited about that Mo Bamba chose number five. And then he's in a bit of a, a Twitter beef with, with one of Kyle's favorites, Joel, Joel Embiid. So Kyle, explain to us what's going on uh, with Mo Bamba, how he fits in with the magic, obviously, and then what's going on on Twitter, because that's really, honestly, the more interesting part right now. Yeah, so first just want to say, uh, you know, congratulations. He went from number four in college, drafted number six, and picked number five, and the, there literally is no explanation other than he knows really, really good um, music or lots of girls' names, and went with Lou Bega Jr.'s um, Mo Bamba number five, but uh, he, he also... Um, was pictured with a uh, rapper, and I can't believe we've never talked about it in this show, Sheck West, who had a, a very, I'm not going to call it good, but catchy song, and maybe it's just me because I listened to it about a thousand times during the basketball season called Mo Bamba last year, and Sheck was there uh, at his draft party, which is awesome. If someone wrote a song about me, they would also be invited. Um, they get in the entourage immediately, so just shout out to the listeners there. Um, do your best. But uh, he also got into a Twitter beef with, um, I don't know if a CEO, but at least king of Twitter, Joel Embiid, who's the best at sports Twitter um, out there, I think, uh, gives, uh, gives Lane Kiffin a run for his money. Um, Joel Embiid... <laughs> They seem to have a friendly relationship. I think they're kind of both working with a um, with a uh, strength coach or a kind of uh, trainer on the offseason, Drew Hanlon, and, and so they played against each other, and uh, Bomba got in the post by Embiid, who turned around and two-handed dunked on him and gave him a welcome to the effing league rook um, trash talk. And, and Mo Bomba, since becoming a professional, um, has now created a Twitter account, and his only uh, first and only tweet to this point was <laughs> retweeting that... Um, that exact uh, video and, and saying thanks for the warm welcome to the league. See you on October 1st, which, hey man, that's a good person to, to get into Twitter troll with and uh, and try to launch your social media presence. So Obama seems to be getting some things figured out if he can make the court as successful as his off the court uh, week or two weeks has been so far then uh, good things lie for him Sheck West is currently on a tour with Pusha T and we all know what Pusha T is like in these streets so you know what maybe maybe we give some more street cred to Mo Bamba for being tied into three degrees of separation for Pusha T so uh, mixtape dropping soon beef song dropping soon uh, I'd love to see that <laughs> I would love to see Embiid and Mo Bamba engage in a uh, in a rock feud that would be so so much fun. Uh, so sticking with basketball, uh, Texas released its out of conference schedule. Finally finalized that. That was a trouble sentence, but I said it anyways. So Texas has 15 non-conference schedules out of conference games that they announced, which there's that one random that's not in their pre-conference schedule, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, kind of highlighted, you've got Virginia Commonwealth, which I think we'll see for quite a while. You've got uh, Georgia for the Big 12 SEC Challenge. You've got Purdue, which was a number two seed in the NCAA tournament the last year. And then you've got Arkansas. Oh, Arky. Ugh. 
tired of Arkansas at this point in my life, uh, in El Paso for the Armed Forces Classic. So, Kyle, what what sticks out to you uh, for Texas's non-conference schedule this year? What what are you most looking forward to? Well, Purdue was a number two seed and very, very, very good. They ended up going down to Tech in the in the Sweet Sixteen, but a a team that was maybe an injury away from being a back, a bracket buster and a national championship contender, and we're they're going to be very, very good again this year. Um, we're, we're seeing them. Um, of course, VCU's fun. Providence, my favorite mascot in basketball um, or in, in college sports, really. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that we talked about it before, but that Continental Tire Las Vegas Invitational that includes um, some heavy hitters like Michigan State, I believe North Carolina. So, um, you know, that that's that's uh, in UCLA as well. So that's going to be a fun one, kind of seeing Texas do that. Um, playing a game at Fort Bliss is, in El Paso is really cool. Um, I'm just kind of curious to see how that goes. Um, that should be a fun thing, uh, fun thing that we do. So there's a couple, uh, a couple very winnable games, I think, in there, which is a good tune-up because Big 12 basketball looks to be um, probably every bit as good as it's been the past few years. So uh, good tune-up. And then I am, I am curious. Just I always love the Big 12 SEC uh, challenge, and we have a super duper winnable one with UGA. Uh, a lot of my family are UGA fans, so it'll be a little, little bragging rights there. But uh, but yeah, looks like a good, good, uh, good schedule for Shaka to, for in a a statement year. He needs to prove himself to be as good as I think you and I both believe that he is. So the first of our two interviews today, we're going to kick it off with the Kansas State Wildcats. We've got John Morse, who is the uh, the managing editor of our SB Nation Kansas State site. You know, for, for those of you, this is your first episode with us. We are going through every week on the Texas schedule and talking to a writer and expert uh, about what that team's outlook is for the upcoming season. And so uh, we're flying through our Big 12 coverage and we're hitting Kansas State. So, uh, John, as seems to be the theme with every Big 12 team, uh, Kansas State has a little bit of a, a quarterback contra- not controversy, maybe a competition going on. So Kansas State has the opposite problem that most teams in the conference do, though. Uh, they have two guys that have uh, some starts underneath their belt. They've got uh, Thompson and Delton both started in multiple games due to injuries and things like that. Uh, so who do who do you anticipate being the guy for Kansas State next year? We really don't know who's going to start the season as QB1. Nobody has emerged as the front runner for the job. But it's also not likely that there's going to be a true sharing situation because we, we tried that a few years ago with Jake Waters and Daniel Sams, and it was just a chaotic mess. So they're both completely different guys. Uh, Thompson is more of a pro passer type quarterback, and Delton is more of the K-State running back at quarterback that you're used to seeing people right. still have nightmares um, about yeah that too exactly so it's it's really it's really one of those tough things where we just don't know so we can't really project what's going to happen <laughs> now did did both of them see significant time in the spring or was it is it like was it a splitting situation was one with the ones ones with the twos like is there any indication at all well there were some injury concerns going on so they both got a little bit of action but most of the spring game was actually taken up by, by Hunter Hall, who's the third stringer. Uh, that's not something that's abnormal at a K-State spring game either. There, there are times when somebody who will be the starter doesn't even play in the spring game, even though there's no injury 
concerns going on. So just just a little bit of that classic Snyder in uh, Deception. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Deception makes it sound uh, so so negative. I don't, maybe maybe it is. <laughs> it's gamesmanship. I feel gamesmanship. like gamesmanship. There you go. Yeah, let's put yeah, a positive. Let's put a positive spin on that. So um, you mentioned kind of the running back at quarterback situation. Now, one of the things that Kansas State uh, has going for them really well is an actual running back at running back that's pretty good at his job, uh, as well as like five guys on that line that have some sort of starting experience. So. Like you said, we're kind of used to seeing the Kansas State uh, running game go through the quarterback with, with the uncertainty, the injuries. Should we expect to see maybe a bit of a shift more towards a traditional running back running game, or, or will we still see uh, a ton of the, the quarterback runs? Well, you know, I tell you what, there's a lot of us who would really like to not see the quarterback running all the time <laughs> because we're tired of seeing them get hurt. Yeah. Um. The thing is, with Snyder, the quarterback run game is a fundamental building block of his offensive philosophy because he, the way he sees it, if the quarterback is an active runner, that means you've got an extra blocker okay, somewhere, whether it's the quarterback helping to block on a running play or being unable to just ignore the quarterback because you think he's passing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The trick we're going to have this season is that none of us is sure at all what Andre Coleman's philosophy is going to be and how much actual control he's going to have over the game plan. It's it's kind of a new era starting this season because Coleman's taking over for Dana Dimmel, uh, Blake Siler's taking over for Tom Hayes on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, whenever you're taking over as a coordinator, you want to put your stamp on the program, even when it's a program that's been so firmly controlled by a, a legendary guy like Bill Snyder, who's a control freak, you know? <laughs> right. But, you know, and, and Coleman's got other younger guys folding into the mix over there. Like, you know, Colin Klein's going to be the quarterback coach now and, right. and so on, so... It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with the play calling and the scheming. Uh, again, a lot of us would really, a lot of us are really tired of the punishment that our quarterbacks take, um, and going through three or four of them a year is is not optimal. Are you subtly predicting that uh, Bill Snyder is going to go for a? A second life here as a, a new offensive scheme. We're gonna we're gonna see a totally different another forty years where Bill Snyder reinvents the the passing game. Is that what I'm hearing? I you know I don't know. It, again, it's gonna depend on how much control he actually relinquishes in the game planning to Andre Coleman, and then what mm-hmm. Coleman's philosophy is gonna be. Obviously, his philosophy is not gonna be markedly different from Snyder. He played for right. Snyder. He's been coaching for Snyder for a while. Um, he's got he's had it drilled into him, but we're still going to see the quarterback run game. Right. It's too, you've been recruiting people and not just the quarterbacks. You've been recruiting offensive linemen, receivers and whatnot to the school with this philosophy in mind. So you're going to have a personnel issue to deal with anyway. Um, and you know, it's, it's, Again, it's just going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I, I'm glad that there's there's more than one team in the conference that's like, I don't know how this is going to go, but it's going to go, and we're going to be there for it. 
That, that feels like <laughs> the, the Texas mantra when it comes to quarterbacks in the last few years. So, you know, one of the big, the really the big question for Kansas State this year, at least from from my looking at it, is is the uh, the defensive side of the ball. You know, you, you graduate six guys, teams top two tacklers, top defensive linemen, top defensive back. So, you know, Kansas State has kind of been the you know along with TCU really the the team that sets the gold standard in the conference for defense for most seasons. So what's, what is the defense going to look like for, for 2018? And are they going to be able to kind of keep that, keep that mantle of one of the defensive powers of the conference? There's probably going to be some slippage. Uh, for the most part, the, the new starters that take over in September are going to be people you all are already familiar with. Um, the only real, Newcomer, newcomer that's going to find himself in the starting lineup is probably Daquan Patton at linebacker. Uh, he, he redshirted last year, didn't get any action, so it'll be a fresh face. Uh, but most of the other guys stepping in are guys that saw significant action last year, backing up the guys who have departed. Um, for instance, you know, uh, Kyle Ball wasn't technically a starter last year, but he began starting games late in the season at on the defensive line. Uh, Drew Wiley's been around. Bronson Massey was extremely uh, eye-popping in the spring game, and he got some action before as well. Um, at linebacker again, Elijah Sullivan will return as a starter. Um, Patton, Eric Gallon, who's the son of former K-State running back Eric Gallon, uh, transferred in from Virginia really uh, a year ago and redshirted so he'll be ready to go and although K-State normally just runs a two linebacker set as you're probably familiar with when they go right. three he'll probably be the third guy um, and the guys behind them are actually all very experienced walk-ons um, like Sam Sizelove and Daniel Green, who originally signed with K-State a couple of years ago and then ended up not coming, went to JUCO for a year and and came back in this year. Uh, defensive back, yeah, losing DJ Reed is hard. Yeah. But Duke Shelley's still here. Kendall Adams is still here. Uh, the guys that rotated in behind them are still here. Uh Shelley was lights out during the spring game and everybody yeah. was glowing, glowing about his performance all spring. Okay. Uh, he's ready to step up and be the guy back in the secondary. Uh, and Kendall Adams, of course, was very solid all year before getting hurt. So it's, it's, there's probably going to be some slippage because the talent that was lost was major. Oh yeah. But as with Snyder, a lot of times that will happen and he'll just plug new guys back in and it'll be like, Oh, okay. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> Must be nice. Now I, I, I do remember uh Trent tanking. I always loved his name and I remember just watching him, I felt like he literally touched, you know, whoever had the ball in every single play, run pass or otherwise. Yeah, is is Trent tanking and Jade Kirby as well, who we were Yeah. We were really hard on early in the season and it it turned out he just needed some time to get used to being a starter, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, these two tanking and Kirby are we're not the fastest guys on the planet, <laughs> and they were in on every play. It was yeah. kind of mind blowing. So we'll see what happens with some actual, you know, and 
We'll see what happens with some actual playmakers <laughs> at linebacker that, that can move, that have wheels. Uh, <laughs> that could be interesting. But that for sure. Now you mentioned you mentioned something. So you've got a, a linebacker who's a legacy. You've got um, you know your new offensive coordinator. We've got Colin Klein who's coming in to help coach as well. What percentage of that coaching staff and the kind of the the roster is made up of Kansas State legacies? Because I'm just looking through the off the the coaching staff and I feel like every name I click on, it's like oh Kansas State guy, Kansas State guy. Is that was that like Bill Snyder's yeah. thing? I, I mean he's. He's pulled people in from the outside before, but yeah, he, he likes people he knows and is comfortable with. And when you've been the coach at one school for right. basically 30 years, everybody you know and are comfortable with is probably somebody who played for you. So it's one of those things. Uh, a lot of the guys that used to coach for him that didn't play for him have, have gone on to, to do Have passed have passed away? Oh, gone on to <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I think it's really weird that, that Bob Stoops played for Bill Snyder and he's already retired. I know <laughs> it's beautiful, but so yeah, it's you know the family thing is really overblown in a lot of schools that, that try to to push it. At K State, it's. It really is kind of part of the fabric of everything from the top down. And these are people that cut their teeth with Bill Snyder. Some of them moved on somewhere else to learn some other things and come back, which is something we wish a certain other person named Snyder would do. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Sean Snyder is one of the best special teams coordinators in the game. But if if he's going to be pushed as... Bill's potential replacement. We'd really like it if he'd go somewhere else for a year or two, right? And and get some experience doing something else. It, just because it's it's good for you. It's almost like a rumspringa. Before you come back to Kansas State, you should take a year elsewhere and make sure that this is the Kool Aid you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Colin Klein went to Northern Iowa for a year, right? Andre Coleman went and cavorted around the southeast for a while, which is why we've got that pipeline in Georgia now. There you go. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does, does nothing, nothing pay, pay, pay off. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that may be the first and only Rumspringer reference we have on on any podcast. Really, let's be honest here. <laughs> That's not about that particular religious group. All right. So the uh, the the one question I had to ask before uh, before we go any further is you personally has Bill Snyder ever uh, ever written you a letter? Me? No. Ah. There is there is one member of my staff who who does have a very nice letter from Bill Snyder. Oh man. And, and framed. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw. About four years ago, we actually published a, a big long form. Uh oral history of the 2003 Big 12 championship game. Mm, no. And uh, Derek Smith, who, who wrote that piece, got a, got a very nice letter from Coach Snyder. That's awesome. Uh, you know, all jokes aside, Coach Snyder really does just seem like, you know, one of the most incredible humans. So, I, I you know, we'll, we'll take the occasional joke, but uh, that and just the you know type of stuff he does, it does 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 get respected, even if it's begrudgingly from from around the Big Twelve in the country for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like everybody's grandpa. Yeah, yeah, I love it. 
So something that we've been doing kind of to, to lighten the mood a bit on these is, is at the end of every one of these interviews, we give you a couple of questions we haven't, uh, haven't necessarily prepared you for. Uh, it may be get some gotcha journalism or whatever, but we're calling it overrated, <laughs> underrated, or appropriately rated. So we've got a couple of things that uh, we want to fe- get a feel for your opinions on that may or may not be stereotypes associated with Kansas, Kansas State, or, you know, the football program itself. So I, um, so let's, let's start with this one. Overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated being called Aggies. Um, well, you know, we stopped doing it 75 years ago or so. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, personally, I'm still bitter over a certain fumble and then a guy that might – stepped out of bounds before he crossed the goal line in overtime <laughs> back in 1998. Okay. So I just kind of twitch when you say the word Aggies anyway. <laughs> Those people are crazy. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure you might have had some experience with them down there. A little Texas. bit. Um, just a little. N- not, not a rival crazy. for us, but yeah, I understand. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, this will set the tone. So you understand that we're, we're digging a little here. Maybe, maybe pressing some of the buttons if possible. The, uh, the next one I have, um, I would like to know if you think overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated is, uh, the town and feel free to answer and elaborate how you wish of Smallville, Kansas. That place can't possibly exist. (laughs) Everybody there, everybody there is so nice, except for this one guy, named Lex, a guy named Lex, come on, who grows up to become the world's greatest supervillain. <laughs> you, you've never just driven through? <laughs> everybody else in that town is just normal. <laughs> nice. They're nice. They help each other cross the street. It's like Superman isn't anything special in Smallville because he's just a superpowered version of every citizen of Smallville. It's insane. <laughs> You know, when you say that, I've never made this connection, but I kind of see the Bill Snyder hashtag family hashtag Kansas nice um, as being like Bill Snyder when he retires eventually and has another hundred years to live, maybe being the mayor of said Smallville, Kansas. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so next one, um, oh, we'll let Kyle take this next one. Sure. Um, so the uh, the... I'll say overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated, and we can follow up on this if need be, the Wabash Cannonball. Oh, it's underrated. It's definitely underrated. Um, First off, it's actually got more than than two bars, which is more than we can say for that song located halfway between our campuses. Um, (laughs) And, you know, we actually do, our band actually does play some other songs in between. But no, it's the Wabash Cannonball is, is a good classic song. The the story of how it ended up being our our de facto fight song is is an interesting one. The, you know, the building caught on fire where all the the uh, music was, and the band director just happened to have a copy of Wabash Cannonball on him, and so that's all they could play that night, and it it just stuck, <clears throat> but. It's if you've ever seen the stands at a K-State home game at the appropriate moment when that song is being played. It's 
it's just as much of a thing as as jump around in Wisconsin or yeah or Seven Nation Army down in South Carolina when it was their thing. Um, it's it's a visual that sticks with you. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I know it's so so closely associated with Big Twelve, but are you aware that that's also a a a staple of the Texas uh, the Texas canon as well? Yeah, so at the beginning of every fourth quarter, and you know, Longhorn band director, longtime legend, the, we have a story as well. Vincent Nino um, once asked DKR, he said, uh, "You know, is there anything that you'd like the band to play?" Because Mr. Royal, you you know, you have a coach who's legendary like that. If you want it, we will do it. And he said, uh, "You know, you don't play enough country music." And so uh, they started in I don't know, I believe the maybe the seventies somewhere around there, they started uh, playing the Wabash cannibal to start the, the fourth quarter. And, and it's not as ingrained in the school culture in that everyone, you know, uh, associates us with it, but that's what I was kind of curious. So you say underrated from a song standpoint, and I would agree entirely with you that it's also underrated as a UT tradition standpoint. And that's, a f- uh, it's, it's interesting too. Cause you know, normally you don't see what's going on at the start of the fourth quarter on TV if you're watching right. the game. Exactly. Uh, and I was at the K-State-Texas game in Manhattan back in 2013. And, you know, now that you mentioned this, I, I noticed that when we would play the Wabash Cannonball, <laughs> your band sitting down in the end zone was into it. Yeah. 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 So, was there any dueling banjo situation? Just curious. Was there a, a back and forth? <laughs> no, not that I recall. Um, we were we were a bit away from. I mean, we could see the band clearly, but we were a bit away from them and had bouncing back and forth between the game and, and what was going on in the stands. But um, I, I did notice that they were kind of getting into the the movement. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, hard not to. Can't, I, it's it's one of my favorite, and I didn't know the, the Kansas State story behind it. I think that's super cool. I love I I'm a so I love college sports. Traditions are what make us who we are. So I think that's so cool. So last last one for our overrated, underrated, appropriately rated. Something near and dear to my heart, and near and dear to your coach's heart. Overrated, underrated, appropriately rated. Nike Cortez shoes. Oh man, you know, I used to have a pair of those that were laceless really nice and I, nice. I really i really loved them but then they they had discontinued the entire cortez line for a while including right. those i wish they'd bring mine back but you know whenever bill snyder needs a new pair they'll they'll whip, whip a few out for him it's kind of jealous <laughs> Must be um, nice. but you know i i grew up at, at a certain time when everybody wore the cortez i mean everybody so it's one of those things where on a nostalgia basis maybe it's underrated but then again at the time i kind of felt like they were overrated i was always a puma guy when i was growing up so ah okay okay now is is there any truth to the story that when the news broke that they were being discontinued bill snyder basically just bought out a bunch of them so he'd have them on stock is that is there any truth to that rumor that is true (laughs) okay it is absolutely true he uh he contacted the folks at Nike when he found out that they were going to be discontinuing it. And uh, they basically worked a deal with the department to, to get him a bunch. So. Okay. That's, That's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. That. Uh, well, John, thank you so much for taking some time out. I know uh, 
you you've got work and everything, so I really appreciate you making some time. Man, where where can the folks find you on the internet if they want to get some more of what you got going on? Okay, I'm on Twitter at John F. Morse. That's J O N F M O R S E. Uh, you can also find us at Bring On The Cats on SB Nation. Um, our Twitter handle for the site account is at Bring On The Cats. Um, the website is bringonthecats.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, which is, you know, it's a bad place, but some people <laughs> go there. Um, and here we have it. There you go. All right. All right. As an FYI, man, I, I when I realized who you were, I was like, wait, I've been following this guy for three years on Twitter. So uh, you're a good Twitter follow. I can, I can, I can advise folks. You, yeah. you, you may have the best uh, Twitter avatar of any of our uh, our interviews thus far. So, <laughs> uh, all credit for that goes out to Twitter user J. Lee or Franklin Air. Now is is his, uh, his name. He he created that for me, uh, uh, five or six years ago, and. I've tried to change it, and people protest. So, <laughs> nice. you're a man of the people. Nice. <laughs> I try, try. Populism is good. I love it. Awesome, John. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. So, in part two of today's season preview, we've got a special guest for you again. Keeping things moving, we got Jack Shields of the Crimson and Cream Machine on with us now. Jack, thank you so much for joining us uh, this evening to record. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. So, we're going to do just jump right in. This is our second for the episode, so let's just do it. So, Jack, we have um, a theme going with these previews, and really the theme with the Big 12 is we've got to start off with the quarterback because that seems like the biggest question mark for almost every team in the conference not named West Virginia. Uh, what the heck is going on quarterback? So, you guys have a, a unique situation where uh, the guy who was slated to be the starter, Kyler Murray, drafted in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft. I guess they agreed to give him one more year of college football. He kind of seemed to be the presumptive guy. Struggled a little bit in the pre in the spring game. So what's what's the QB situation looking like in in Norman? There's technically a competition going on right now, but Kyler Murray, he's he's the guy. It, 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 there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Honestly, like in as far as the spring game is concerned, I mean. Lincoln Riley was keeping a lot of things close to the vest because the offense is going to look a little bit different this year. I like from a, you know, from a, a strategic perspective, uh, he and this goes back to his days at East Carolina. He has always done a great job of adjusting his scheme to fit his personnel. So I don't think he was trying to show too much that day. And also, you know, there's two other things. You know, there was the whole thing with Kyler playing baseball at the time, like uh. That spring game weekend, he was actually playing games against Texas. He played three games against Texas that week in Norman. So, you know, that's takes a little energy out of you. You're running back and forth Just between the two facilities all day and stuff like that. So there's that part of it. And, you know, also, you know, with the whole baseball thing and him agreeing to come back to school for another semester, you know, it's logical to conclude that – there was an understanding there. That's at least how I feel about it. So, you know, I don't think he's agreeing to play, a, uh, 
you know, another season of college football if he's not at least getting the first crack at the starting job. That's at least the way I see it. It would be so. It would be so surprising if, if Kyler Murray, if Kyler Murray even, even had some agreement, uh, had some agreement with, the, with the, the parent or a coach or someone to uh, to really to really ensure his playing time. That would be a first. <laughs> that was for our, that, that was, was for our, our many Aggie, our many Aggie listeners, there. listeners there. There you go. <laughs> now, I like I know that football is his dream, but like, what's the, what's the talk? Like, is this are people like weirded out by this like this situation? Like, what's the what's the uh, the temperature? Let's say of of people. I guess how are people feeling about it? Well, I think people sort of anticipated this all along because you know Kyler Murray, he's been a you know, since going back to his days at Allen High School, he's right, been a right. high-profile baseball prospect. He was a projected second-rounder coming out of high school, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. this has sort of always been a possibility. And this is something that, you know, going back to, uh, I guess it would have been December of 2015 when he decided to uh, come on with Oklahoma. I mean, he and Riley have sort of been discussing all of these things at length this entire time. Yeah. So, yeah. The fan base has sort of, you know, had an understanding that baseball was always going to be a possibility. And it's always been understood that baseball was his future sport at the professional level. So everyone's pretty excited for Kyler Murray, honestly. And who wouldn't be? I mean, the guy just got a $5 million signing bonus, you know, to play college football, essentially. (laughs) I mean, the guy, you know, that must be nice, you know. I mean, that sounds sounds pretty outstanding. But, you know, I, I... Obviously, it's a very unique situation, but I think everyone's kind of okay with it. And I think everyone's pretty secure in how the quarterback situation is uh, after, you know, Kyler leaves school. Because, you know, there's Austin Kendall, who will have two years of eligibility after Kyler Murray leaves. Plus, you know, Spencer Rattler, the number one quarterback in the 2019 class, has been committed for quite a long time. And unless he pulls a Cameron Rising, he's going to be at Oklahoma. So, you know. I think uh, the quarterback position, I think people are feeling pretty good about it. So there's not too much stress, honestly. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'll, we, I'll, I'll, we're okay with the camerizing situation, but I'm, absolutely, I'm sure absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 and just as an FYI, for any of our listeners out there who want to isolate the audio where he said uh, that Kyler just received a signing bonus to go to the University of Oklahoma to play football, just in case they beat us, if you could have that ready, we could send that into the NCAAs. <laughs> Heard it here first, but no, uh, just just kidding. But no, I, I do think uh, even even as Longhorn fans, I'm I'm excited to see how Kyler does uh, on the next level. Yeah, he's an extremely exciting baseball player. I don't know if you got many chances to watch him this uh, this spring, but I mean, there there wasn't a quicker guy on the base pass. I mean, there yeah. you know people in Oakland are already comparing him to Ricky Henderson, which I mean that's obviously wow. a bit of a stretch, but you know that's uh you know he's. You know, he has the potential to, you know, be a five-tool player at the next level. So, you know, it'll, uh, you know, he's got the power, he's got the speed, you know, he's a little raw as a hitter, and he's a little raw out in the field still, but, you know, the sky's the limit. Definitely got the arm strength. And Yeah, yeah, definitely their arm strength. <laughs> and Kyle and I are both of the belief that, that college football is better when Texas and OU are at the top. Like, that's that's a firm, like, whoever comes out of Dallas – with the win, plays for a national championship. Like that's when we feel like college football is the best for everybody. Agreed. It's, Agreed. It's just a good time. Absolutely. And we, you know, we're finally getting back to the point where it's going to be a fairly safe assumption that both teams are going to have top five talent from a recruiting perspective for the next few years to come. And that's when that rivalry is at its best too. When you have the, some of the best athletes in the country out there. I remember, you know, 
the mid to, you know, that probably that, you know, 2002 to 2008 range in that rivalry, the athleticism out on the field was insane. So mm-hmm. I'm ready to get back to that for it to, you know, be on both sides. So that'll be exciting. <laughs> I love it. So you mentioned when we were, when we were talking about Kyler that, um, you know, Lincoln Riley does a really good job of molding and twisting his, his offense to, to fit the talent. And, you know, last year it was not really hard to do that with a guy like Baker Mayfield, as much as it hurts me, pains me deeply to say that like (laughs) Baker Mayfield could make any offense look good, at least at the collegiate level. And so, um, you know, who's going to be, you know, you lose that guy, you know, you lose that guy. Who's the, not just the guy on the field, but he's the vocal leader. He's the guy that gets the team going. And it really seems like, you know, the way that Baker went, the team went. And so, you know what? Who's going to be that guy this year for for Oklahoma to fill that? Not just the talent gap, but the leadership gap and that, those types of things. Leadership, you know, that's a that's a serious question. You know, I mean, I, I I if you asked someone right now who would be the offensive captains this year, no one would be able to give you an answer within twenty seconds. I don't think everyone would right. have to think right. about it because there aren't really. You know, I think Rodney Anderson is someone who could maybe do that. He's a pretty vocal guy who is pretty good at galvanizing the players. He's a, you know, pretty heady player, too. So, I mean, I I think Rodney Anderson's someone who – he and also from a playmaking perspective as well because he's insanely good. But, uh, you know, Kyler, I mean, this sort of brings me back to my point I was making before about Lincoln Riley sort of – adjusting the offensive scheme to fit the personnel you know he's going to put kyler in a position to succeed he's going to do things that are sort of going to maybe mask his shortcomings no pun intended with him you know being five foot nine but uh (laughs) you know uh you know i mean and that's you know that you know it's not like the issues you encounter with a six foot tall quarterback or six foot one quarterback like baker mayfield like Five nine, that's a serious issue even at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to sort of tailor make that offense to sort of fit him a little bit, you know, put him in positions to succeed. But he is, you know, he's insanely talented, as you guys are aware. You know, you, I'm sure you, because you know, you guys Texas recruited him very heavily out of high school. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, mm-hmm. one of the best uh, quarterbacks in Texas high school history. So I mean, everyone's pretty well aware of his upside as a playmaker and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but, you know, I – one of the things with Baker also was, you know, how poised he was in uh, crucial situations and stuff like that and how poised he was when plays started breaking down. So, you know, Kyler, you know, he hasn't really been thrown into the fire in a few years, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see sort of how he responds in those situations because Baker was just nails in those situations, so – I mean, that's that's one of the biggest things. But as far as, you know, talent is concerned and playmaking ability is concerned, he has a ton of playmakers around him. He's going to have a very good offensive line once again. So as far as playmaking ability is concerned, as far as overall productivity is concerned, I'm not worried about that offensively. But, you know, when push comes to shove in, like, crucial situations when OU really needs a score or if something breaks down, you know, that's where Kyler's really going to show his true colors. And you mentioned, um, you know, Baker being poised in those late-game situations. I think one that springs immediately to at least my mind and in the minds of most Texas fans is in Dallas 
late game strike to Mark Andrews. That's that that guy, Mark Andrews, is a huge mm-hmm. loss for for OU. I mean that that tight end fullback hybrid position is a big spot in a lot of offenses, including the Texas offense and the OU offense. So who's who's going to be that guy for? Um, for for the Sooners and who's going to kind of fill that playmaking gap as far as you know a tight end fullback kind of do everything guy. Well, as far as tight end is concerned, it's a fairly easy answer. It's Grant Calcaterra, who was a true freshman last year. He was you know a four star recruit coming out of a I believe Santa Margarita, California. He's a it's about six three six four, about you know two thirty two forty range. But other than that, he's fairly similar to Mark Andrews as far as athleticism is concerned. And he's arguably even better at making, I guess, the spectacular catches. He made some insane catches last year when he was called upon, and he was actually uh, playing most of the game at the tight end position uh, up in Columbus. So he's definitely a battle-tested guy, and he's definitely got some serious uh, playmaking potential. So he's going to be one of uh, Kyler Murray, I assume Kyler Murray, uh, his uh, one of his primary targets this year, and he's probably going to have a – Fairly productive year, it's probably pretty safe to say. Uh, as far as the uh, fullback H-back situation, that's a bit more murky. There, uh, you know, Dimitri Flowers was obviously a outstanding yep. do-everything yep. guy. He was a Swiss Army knife. I mean, he could do everything. But uh, there's redshirt senior Carson Meyer, who I guess is more of a blocking specialist. He's not really someone who's known for his playmaking ability or his speed or anything like that. And then you have Jeremiah Hall, who redshirted last year and was always sort of considered the heir apparent to Dimitri Flowers and who was the heir apparent to Trey Millard as well. So, But I think people's expectations of Hall were maybe a little unfair just because Flowers and Millard were so good at so many things. So to expect a guy to just come in and fill that void right off the bat is probably a little unfair. But basically what I'm expecting this year is those two to sort of be utilized in different situations and sort of uh, Lincoln Riley going with the committee approach there. Got it. Got it. So let's – let's. Oh, go ahead, G. I was going to say, I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk defense. I know we didn't uh, necessarily oh, a okay. ton for this, uh, but but we, we have to ask some questions. So um, If you have to. If we have and, to. So, and, 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 and my first defensive question, if I can – is are you yeah. as surprised as at least me personally here that you still employ Stoops? I, I really thought that Mike may not be uh, may not be on the sidelines after after last year. Not that it was a inherently terrible defense, um, but I think you know there were some is- inconsistencies. So uh, are you at all surprised that he comes back and, and is he on the hot seat this year? Well, you know, I think part of the rationale for keeping him around is for you know from a recruiting perspective i don't think they wanted to miss out on some of the talented guys they were uh a bringing in the in the 2018 class and uh, also who they're working on in the 2019 class so you know it's one of those deals where if he does step down at some point aka get fired you know i i'm putting (laughs) resign or step down in quotes here but i think it would be something like you know, him saying, oh, I'm going to retire from football like in June or something like that. Um, right. It, 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 you know, I don't I don't think it's happening this summer, but, you know, I think uh, I think he unless he unless the defense improves this year, he's gone. But, you know, 
I, I'm I'm not too surprised. Do I think he deserves to still be the defensive coordinator? Absolutely not. But <laughs> it's uh, not too surprising that he's going to be in town for one more year at least. So, you know, hopefully he can get it turned around, obviously. But, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I'm not uh, – I'm not too trusting as far as that's concerned. And so, you know, saying that he needs to have a good year to, to kind of stick around, um, he may have a tough time with that, losing three of his top four guys from a year ago. You know, Emmanuel Beal playing for the Seahawks now. Uh, the name I always struggle with, Obo Okoronkwo. Obanaya Okoronkwo. There you Obanaya go. Okoronkwo. There you Easy go. for you we to say, Jerry. We just go with Obo. Obo, so yeah. <laughs> Um, is he Stephen Parker? Obviously, you know, local guy is graduated. So the only guy of your top four defensive players is, uh, you know, Kenneth Murray, that linebacker who, again, I'm still kind right. of having nightmares about. Um, <laughs> so what's, what's that defense going to look like for, for 2018? Like what's, who's going to be the guy to help Mark Stoops keep, keep his job? Well, I, I don't know if you can really pinpoint one individual, but over the last two years the recruiting on the defensive side of the ball has been much better yeah so you know while some guys are obviously going to have to step up and be big you know Caleb Kelly he's moving over to the will linebacker he's gonna you know have to have a big year probably and Kenneth Murray as well at the uh, Mike linebacker position he was a true freshman last year got thrown in the fire and you know should be pretty seasoned by now but uh you know the overall quality of depth is on the rise, which is what makes me think that the defense will probably be better. And also the situation at cornerback is much better now that Jordan Thomas is gone. So, you know, I, the, the defensive line is about a year away from potentially being a very good unit, but they could be at least okay this year. I think linebacker, you know, Kenneth Murray, uh, Caleb Kelly. It's going to depend on you know their formations. They might run a little bit of four-two-five this year, which is what I'm hoping for. But you know, linebacker depth is a serious concern, at least as far as uh, experience is concerned. There's some talent behind those guys, but experience mm. is a bit of an issue. And uh, you know, like I said, corner should be okay with Parnell Motley and probably Trey Norwood at the other corner position, who was kind of thrown in the fire as a freshman last year after a Jordan Thomas got yanked, but safety is probably one of the biggest concerns losing Steven Parker and Will Johnson. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, probably the biggest area of weakness. They're definitely going to be depending on some young guys to really, really step up there. Namely Robert Barnes, who was a uh, pretty high profile recruit out of South Lake Carroll big you know six two two ten guy pretty pretty athletic too and then uh buki radley hiles who was a uh <laughs> five-star recruit who uh is probably going to play the nickel this year so it, young guys without a lot of experience are going to need to really step up at safety but overall i would say the overall level of talent is still a little bit better than it was a year ago so i would expect it to be a little bit better this year by the way that's the first time i've heard um, Radley Hiles nickname even though I followed his recruiting I definitely just kind of missed that for some reason so I appreciate you bringing yeah, that yeah, to my yeah. attention it's yeah, phenomenal no problem. it's good stuff Bren Brendan Radley Hiles is already a good name but you go from Brendan to Buki Radley Hiles and he's getting close to if not making a all freshman team at least making an all name team so uh, 
<laughs> uh, good for Buki. So that actually is is kind of one thing I wanted to ask. I mean, you do have some of these young guys and some of these some of these names. I'll say it that way. One who's coming back, who we've known as seventeenth year senior uh, Austin Siebert. Seems like he's been there since uh, I was in college. But uh, you did say you did say uh, Buki. Are there any other just kind of big names who could come in? We've been asking this question to some of the other people, whether they're early enrollees or freshmen who could step on the field, uh, or just guys who've maybe been buried a little bit on the on the depth chart, um, who are some names that Texas fans will probably know come October, some guys who can step up in that game and become part of that, that kind of storied legacy of the, the Red River rivalry. Well, Buki, like you mentioned, is one of them. He would be the first person, I would say, because he was, you know, pro- he has the best chance of anyone to play early and to be a very big contributor early so you know he's the first person another you know you would look at like the slot receiver position there's uh, charleston rambo who was a very highly recruited guy out of the state of texas great name too who yeah out, yeah outstanding name but uh he is gonna get a crack he he'll probably get a crack outside as well and he, that may in the long run be his uh more suitable position, but with injuries to Nick Basquin and Michael Jones this spring, guys like Charleston Rambo and uh, another true freshman, Jaqueline Crawford, who was uh, he showed out in this Texas State playoffs uh, last year. He was really good playmaker, really good guy in the open field, someone who could maybe be a good punt returner for this team as well. So those two guys. Uh, potentially as receivers or guys to uh, look at. And, uh, you know, while he may not get the uh, pub, Creed Humphrey is going to be an absolute monster at center for this team. Probably he's got the chance to be the best center in this school's history, and he's a uh, redshirt freshman. He could have played last year. He was good enough to start last year as a true freshman at center, which is really saying something. But he's someone who has a future – all Big 12 and All-American written all over him, and he will probably be the starter at center this year. Well, when you see a guy coming out of high school that's the, a, a center as the number five player in the state, and Oklahoma produces some talent, so that yeah. is uh, that's Lately, a big deal. Lately, at least, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was a you know really nice player. He's someone who's going to be a much better, uh, I guess, run blocker than some of the guys who uh, have been at this school over the last decade or so, so that's kind of exciting. It's a good feeling. So, so Jack, one of the things that we're doing with all of our guests is we are we're doing something we call overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. And so we're asking some some stereotypes or some things that we've heard um, about the the state or city that the school is located in. Now, I'm cheating a little bit on this because, as some of our listeners know, I'm actually based in Oklahoma. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna ask you a couple questions, and we need you to tell us uh, if they are overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. So I'll I guess I'll start it off. Um, overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated storm chasing. Ooh, uh, not something that I've ever done. I was actually originally a meteorology major at OU until I found out there was more math in that than engineering. So uh, <laughs> I immediately went over to energy management and then to sociology and then kept going down from there. But anyway. <laughs> Sounds uh, like my career, yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, it, it's beyond stupid. People get killed doing it. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you, you know, standing on your porch and looking at it is dumb enough. 
Storm chasing is beyond stupid. So, overrated. There you go. Okay. I like the rationale behind it, too. That's good. Uh, I I would like to point you in the direction of uh, critically acclaimed documentary Twister, though. I actually uh, watched that last night. So. Uh, very nice, Gerald. Do you R. want to R. take R.I.P. Bill <laughs> Pullman and R.I.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman? Man, Absolutely. oh, that's a great point. Wow. That's All crazy. right. Never thought about that. Yeah, no. yeah. That that well, yeah, that came to my mind last night watching it. I'm like, man, half these people are dead. This is weird. That's <laughs> sad. Is, that is sad. sad. Yeah, it is sad. Yeah, absolutely. They're both great actors. Yeah. All right. So this next one again, this is one that that I kind of cheat with because I, I live in Oklahoma City. Overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? Cattleman's Steakhouse appropriately rated cattleman's is outstanding i actually went there for my last birthday dinner about six months ago cattleman's is outstanding okay and that's and that's yeah it's in oklahoma city it's in the stockyard district but yeah it's uh and it's it's not expensive either i mean it's you know it's a place you can just go for lunch honestly i mean and their breakfast is outstanding too so yeah appropriately rated never done breakfast at cattleman's that's good stuff it's great all right, we got some we got some food recommendations. So now I, I'm going to move in here because I have a couple too that I would really like to uh, get your takes on here to close it out. Overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? Coaching whilst in a visor. Appro- well, underrated. Let's go underrated <laughs> or appropriately rated. I mean, I, I can't. Do you think I can go any other direction on this? One? I mean, like with Bob and Lincoln Riley. I mean, it. You know, it's a recipe for success. What can I tell you? You know, some people say correlation doesn't equal causation, but you know, <laughs> I say BS in this instance. Uh, very good. No, so do, do you, I just am curious if you had any insider knowledge. Was Lincoln allowed to choose? if he wanted to or not, or was it just handed to him like he got the keys to the office and a visor put over his head by Bob? Oh, he was the visor man at East Carolina. Yeah, he, he's got visor in his DNA. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> so that's, that's so Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the last one, um, I'm, I'm hoping this, this is a good conversation here. Overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated, Toby Keith. Overrated. He sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That, see, that, now, see that that that's a little harsh, but you know, I'm I'm more of like a non-mainstream country guy myself. So guys like Toby Keith are on my bad list. I'm more of a Sturgill Simpson guy myself. So I'm you know not really into the Toby Keith stuff. Who, who would have thought the three that. of us would? Yeah, who would have thought the three of us would end on a note in absolute and utter harmony and agreement <laughs> on on that? You literally let's I've... talk music after this because you sound like you know what you're talking about. The, the music's <laughs> terrible and the restaurant's not that good either. The restaurant is not good at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, man. Well, well, Jack, thank you so much for joining us. Where can the folks find you on the internet if they want to get some more of your great writing? Well, most of uh, Crimson and Cream Machine, that's the main thing. That's SB Nation's Oklahoma Sooners blog. And you can find us on Twitter at, uh, at CC Machine. And then my personal account is J Larry Shields. So those two places you can find me. Love it. Well, Jack, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, taking some time out to hop on the pod with us. All right. Appreciate it, guys. That was fun. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, no problem. Now it's the part of the show that you've all been waiting for. One of the best segments in all of sports podcasting, I'm going to say, where we honor uh, one of our favorite traditions on the 40 Acres, one of the best traditions of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I'm banging the drum on a, on a, on a guy 
who we both love and uh, and him being recognized on a national level um i'm of course talking about uh the burnt orange thor um i guess that would make his father uh odin if i know my mythology but nonetheless um, yeah yeah son of odin hager we have Breckenhager, um, no, his dad was actually Brit. Uh, Breckenhager, te- Texas's um, kind of heart, soul, and um, head and shoulder spokesman, uh, is uh, it was was honored by NFL.com. Uh, they listed their kind of uh, eighteen for eighteen college football's most freakish athletes, which I promise you is a good thing. It's not about um, you know him going out and headbanging at a metal concert. This is about his actual measurables and we talked about Bombas I think in our last show um, about his crazy draft measurables um, Brecken Hager is certainly making a name for himself he's been beefing up uh, ever since Herman's came in I mean all the UT social media uh, really pictures of him and in, in, in the weight room and some of his accolades have been making the rounds and he's been uh, really exciting folks um, we, we have talked a lot about how excited we are for him uh, but just the numbers are there he's up to you know 255 260 now um, and he still hit 38 inches on a vertical jump which is which is silliness um, and and you know you're like oh is that a thing that NFL players can do well in last year's uh, combine there was only two players at, at 250 plus uh, who hit a vertical like that and that was the first round draft pick for the Cowboys Leighton Vander Esch and uh, Aid Aruna um, who went to the Vikings I believe um, so just not a not a really standard NFL skill set is he's in the very elite level of guys that big who can move like that jump uh, run and and carry the weight in such a, a good way and he also power clean just for good measure uh, 360 pounds this offseason so if all those things translate um, then we should have uh, we should have a freak on our hands in the best possible ways come come Saturdays in the fall I'm, I'm a little salty now now don't get me wrong I think Breck Hager is is a freak he is he he had one of those come ups that you're like you know what? If I didn't know what the strength and conditioning program was at Texas, I would think that there were other things happening. Dude's on a come up, but you cannot, you can't leave his teammate Anthony Wheeler off of a athletic freaks list. That dude is cut from the side of a mountain. Like that dude is an action figure, and I've never talked about another man's physique like that before in my entire life. But I, I'm just a little salty that Wheeler got left off this list. I mean, that's a really good point, Wheeler. It, I mean, there's two men who've ever made me like feel. Uh, just utterly inferior in their presence, and and one was David Robinson's biceps in those mid '90s Spurs teams, um, and and the other was Anthony Wheeler. I don't know if I can still call them biceps, like they were, uh, you know, they were they were somehow tree trunks that he had transported and, and carved in. Um, that picture from the bowl game, and, and Google it, where he's just flexing all excited, literally set me back like three years in in, in my confidence as a man. Six percent body fat on on Anthony Wheeler. Just throwing that, just putting that out there. I just want to put that out there. He's also a Dragon Ball Z fan, which speaks to my inner nerd. You can catch me on Two Woke Nerds. Uh, we're gonna do Ant Man in the next episode. No, so my bang the drum is uh, Texas seeing success. Now I know based upon the football fortunes, it feels like Texas is down right now. But Texas once again was named one of the top athletic institutions in the nation. So Texas finished fifth in the Learfield NACDA Directors Cup. So what that is, is basically it's an aggregate 
of points based upon your finishes in in major sports. And so uh, Texas now has a, uh, a recorded 19, uh, 19 years that it's finished in the uh, in the top 10 of this uh, prestigious award. I say prestigious because I'm talking about how good Texas is doing. Uh, but even over the last, you know, four or five seasons, it's been top 10 finishes consistently. You know, Texas ranked fifth in, and it's just I want us to take an actual snapshot of where the athletic department is. It's easy to judge everything based upon football, but the University of Texas was the only school to have postseason appearances in all 20 of the NCAA sanctioned sports that it participates in. 10 of those sports had top 10 finishes. So I know football is down. I know football is not competing at the level that we hope it would or should based on the fact that the it is a burnt orange uniform. But the Texas athletic program cannot be judged solely by football. Yes, it's the biggest revenue generator. Yes, it's why most of you listen to this podcast. But the fact of the matter is the Texas athletic department continues to set uh, what I would consider to be the, the standard, definitely in the conference, and for the large part, the country, because they continue to bring in a ton of revenue, they continue to have top finishes, their athletic ranking, or their academic rankings continue to be top in the country, so again, let's not judge the entire uh, state of the athletic department based on the struggles of the football program. Yeah, in, in Texas, I mean, this year, like you said, had just in the actual titles that they put home and banners they get to hang and, and things you get to uh, tally mark, they had eight uh, Big 12 conference titles in a year that, like you said, may have been a little bit down in the, some of the marquee. They still added eight titles to bring the league-best all-time Big 12 championships to a 175. Uh, I wasn't able to find who had second, but uh, I imagine it's nowhere close because I don't know another program that has the breadth and depth of the Longhorns. But again, they're uh, Big 12 leading 175th conference championship. I love it. But that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, You can find me on Twitter, uh, at Kyle Carpenter. Um, you can find me on my fire Instagram. I believe that's at Kyle Ryan Carpenter. Never, never plug that one, but guys go ahead. Shoot me a follow. Give my, give my picture some likes. There's going to be a lot of Essence Fest pictures from this weekend. You could probably follow uh, Essence Fest 2018 hashtag and see a ton from Kyle on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at GH Gooder. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornPublicPod at gmail.com. I'm coming back for a quick rejoinder. I did find it. Oklahoma's second. They are almost 100 behind us. Their second all-time Big 12 with 80. The the look on Kyle's face when he found that statistic was great. Uh, shout outs again to Jack and John for coming on the show today. They are both just champions for fitness, and I know it was tough for both of them to find a time, but we got it done. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, welcome. Okay. Okay.